Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And fresh off his vacation is my co-host, Stephen Kerr. How was the R&R? Did you do anything interesting? Well, I it, it was great, first of all. And uh, ironically, I went to Virginia. I'd never been to Virginia before. Uh, I didn't go to Northern Virginia where you know, kind of close to Washington, D.C. I was more in the central part of the state. But as you can imagine, I did encounter some Washington Nationals fans. So naturally, I, you know, had to, uh, you know, endure some good-natured ribbing about the Nationals winning the World Series over the Houston Astros, especially when they found out I was from Texas. And uh, no, the trip was good. The, the weather was actually, I think there was one day that it snowed in Richmond, but it was mostly above freezing, so it didn't really stick. The funny thing is, the first day when I left Austin to go to Virginia, it was colder in Austin than it was in Virginia. So uh, pretty cool. Didn't get to do a lot of sightseeing. I still had to work a lot while I was there. But, yeah, the the good-natured ribbing of uh, the Astros losing the World Series, I would still prefer talking about that, Robert, than what we're about to talk about today regarding those alleged cheating allegations. Doggone it, they still just keep coming up. Yeah, I figured your first show was going to be getting fired up about this. You know, first show back was going to be about getting fired up about Deshaun Watson's MVP play or how the Rockets were looking without Westbrook or celebrating Astros regular season awards. But yeah, I mean, I guess you've heard uh, while you were having fun over in Virginia, we found out the Astros are confirmed cheaters. They're cheaters. Well, and unfortunately, this is not the first time that we've heard of these incidents. I mean, we heard about in 2018, I believe it was, when uh, uh, supposedly an Astros employee was caught uh, with a camera uh, in the other team's dugout or something like that. I remember that was last year. And, and we've heard these reports before about stealing signs with cameras. You know, we, of course, had the, uh, the Yankees accusing them of the whistling incident, you know, whistling in the dugout trying to uh, give uh, hitters an idea of what the pitchers were throwing. So unfortunately, Robert, I mean, you have to say that when this stuff keeps coming up, keeps coming up, it's like uh, police detectives always say, I don't believe in coincidences. And when you keep hearing this sort of thing, you have to know that where there's smoke, there's fire. Now, interestingly enough, I did see an article where Carlos Beltran, even though he is now the manager of the New York Mets, he did say, well, to my knowledge, we, you know, the Astros didn't really have any cheating or cameras or anything of that nature. But when more than one player comes forward and says there's something going on, whether you're an Astros fan, whether you like it or not, you, ha- you kind of have to feel like there is something going on. And Major League Baseball is investigating. Yeah, they cleared the Astros on some of these, but it, it just doesn't look good. And once again, it, it's another black mark that is – kind of wiping out the whole good news about Verlander winning the Cy Young and Jordan Alvarez winning Rookie of the Year and Alex Bregman, of course, being one of the finalists for the MVP award. Man, uh, Steven, the Astros have become like the New England Patriots of Major League Baseball. I made this point on Twitter, and, you know, it's now winning at all cost. That's what I mean by New England Patriots, winning at all cost. I mean, I I put that up on Twitter, and people were like, well, yeah, but— you know, the Astros haven't won six championships. No, I mean, this is an organization that's about whatever it takes to win, whatever we have to do 
you know, I asked, I asked the people on the Astros Twitter, I said, are you okay with that? Are you okay with the Astros being baseball's New England Patriots? And Stephen, you know, what percentage do you think said they were good with that? Well, let's see. Uh, how about, let, I'm going to go with a high figure and say 90%. You, you went even higher than it was, and, and I was surprised it was high as it was. 71% of wow. the 140 okay. people who voted on Twitter said they were good with it. And I guess my thing is, Stephen, I, I don't know where where we are in the sports world these days, but I was upset. I was angry about Sosa and McGuire, and and that was cheating. And I was upset with all of these guys on steroids, and that's cheating. And I was upset when the Patriots were videotaping other teams. And now it seems like, well, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And, you know, I, maybe that's always how it's been. But I, I don't know. Me personally, it, it takes away. It took away from baseball when you found out the teams that were winning were doing it on steroids. The guys were, that were putting up the big numbers were doing it with steroids. They were cheating. They were doing something. And, and I've heard people say, well, this is – you know, stealing signs. Everybody has stolen signs. No, 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 no. There's stealing signs in a way that you're trying to figure it out through, you, you know, just your own abilities. Like you're not that you're Superman being able to stare, you know, a thousand yards down the down the uh, dugout to see a video camera or something. You know, that's it's different. You know, this is different things. And I, I don't know. It, it's just I don't like winning in, in that way, to me, it does take away from what the Astros have done. Well, it is different, and yet it's not different. I mean, stealing signs has been going on probably since signs first started in baseball. The, the difference, though, is it's just that it's, it's, you know, the technology that's come out with all these cameras, and it, it makes it so easy to hide cameras. It just makes it easier for teams to do it. But let's be honest, stealing signs is nothing new. The problem is, is the accessibility has created more opportunities for teams to do it. And and I'm not saying it's right either way. The, the problem is, is that technology has just made things so much easier. And the problem, too, is, I, unfortunately, the, the saying that you just mentioned, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. You know, this is this is just becoming commonplace in sports that when you're good, I mean, it, you would think that teams like, Let's say the Baltimore Orioles or the Miami Marlins or, you know, teams that are, are terrible. You would think they would be the ones wanting to try to get as much of an edge as they can to get better. But it's usually the elite teams, the Patriots, for instance, have been caught several times cheating. Remember Spygate? You know, they did that, Deflategate, all this kind of stuff. And now the Astros are, are doing it as well. So... It's just an unfortunate aspect of sports. But, you know, here's another dichotomy too, Robert. We've talked a lot over the years about how the Texans, up until recently, don't seem to want to get the controversial guys or the, the quote-unquote bad guys who come in and may be great players and win, but the Texans have stayed away from those players. And a lot of fans have complained about that. This, the Texans have too many nice guys, and, you know, that's why they haven't won anything. And now they're starting to go in that other direction. So I don't know. Where do you draw the line? Sports is, unfortunately, to some people, it's all about winning. Nothing else matters. 
okay, just uh, as far as the Texans go, I, I don't know if they've brought in any, any real jerks. I mean, Gary and Conley thing, we, we don't know what happened with, with that. I mean, th- there was, uh, you know, uh, an accusation. Um, you know, it, it's, it never, nothing happened of it. No, no, there was no trial. There was no, I mean, he basically was cleared. And as far as Laramie Tunsil is concerned, I mean, he's doing, he was doing something that half the country has already voted that they're fine with doing, you know, it exactly, is exactly. There was Keith Mumphrey, uh, what is he a wide receiver a few years ago? I think there was the Keith Mumphrey thing, but that was, yeah. As soon, it, but as soon as, the, you know, it, it wasn't long after that, where, where he was gone right. after that thing had come out where he was gone. I don't know if the Texans have really gone so much in that direction, but let let me just, I, I just want to say this. You know, I hear, a, I saw a lot of people on Twitter say, well, everybody else is doing it. I mean, w- this is the argument that your seven-year-old makes, you know, well, you <laughs> yeah. know, this is the old, if, if they're going to jump off the building, are you going to jump off the building? That's the example I always use. Exactly. I mean, it's what, I mean, what are we talking about here? And, uh, you know, I, I just don't understand why it's any of any value to you if you win because you cheated. I, I don't get why, you know, or you cheated better than the other guy cheated. And it's what it what it's done in, in a lot of sports. You know, if you're McGuire or Sosa, you took away jobs sometimes or some pitchers that were doing it and maybe shouldn't have been in the major leagues. They were taking away jobs of guys that, you know, were doing it the right way. Guys were getting passed up in the minor league because they weren't doing steroids or whatever. And, and, and the major league baseball and the NFL and the NBA, they've tried to make rules to do this. And I also saw people say, Stephen, they were like, well, look, you know, that's up to the leagues. They've got to make better rules. And I'm like, yeah, that, that doesn't make me feel any better. If my team is going out purposely trying to skirt the rules of the game, we live by these rules in baseball. There's rules because, you know, you Everybody gets mad when, hey, the umpires, they've screwed up the rules. They messed up this call or they they got the rule wrong or whatever. But it's okay if your team tries to screw up the rules. And do, I mean, this is what sports is about. It's, it's about we have rules. This is how you play the game. Well, I agree with you. Unfortunately, there's another saying that people like to overuse, and it's called rules are made to be broken. You, you can make all the rules you want, and you can make them as stiff as you want, But there are always going to be players, teams, coaches, owners who are going to go out and see how far can they push the envelope? How far can we stretch the rules? Or, you know what, if necessary, how many of them can we break if that's what it takes to win? If if that's the pressure that the coaches feel to keep their jobs, if that's the pressure the players feel, those guys in the minor leagues, they even do this in high school. They're they're using steroids and high school players have used it because – they see other people doing it, and they feel like, well, if I don't, then I'm going to get passed up. I'm not going to be able to play, so I have no choice. Now, that's no excuse, none whatsoever, but I don't know that there is an, an easy answer or definitely an easy solution to this, and that's the problem is, yeah, Major League Baseball can crack down on the Astros, find them, make them an example, whatever, but there will be other teams out there. I, I, I bet you every team in the major steel signs it at some level. They either just haven't been caught yet or they don't do it quite to the extent that the Astros are being accused of. But that that's the thing. You can make an example of someone, but there's going to be someone else who's always going to try 
to, to stretch or break the rules. Jeff Luno said, quote, we haven't done everything properly, but I do feel confident that in general, most of the time we did things right and we try and follow the w- rules. We try to be good citizens and we try to compete as hard as we can. Steven, I try to not criticize Luno's legal ease, but you know what? I don't really do it. That's basically what he said. We try, but, we, you know, come on, Jeff. This, if you're not going to say, give us anything resembling a non-legal easy, just don't even bother. I, mean, I, I don't know who he thinks he's fooling. Well, the Astros, obviously, I, I think they need to take some lessons in public relations because remember how they botched the whole Brandon Taubman thing. You know, th- this is the same team that came out and not only denied the story at Sports Illustrated, basically called it bogus, false. You know, misleading. Uh, so <laughs> here, once again, Jeff Luno is talking out of both sides of his mouth, saying, well, we tried, but, but oh, yeah, we've maybe messed up a few times. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, that's like making an apology without making an apology, really. Yeah, this is the same Jeff Luno that left the Cardinals, and they thought he was cheating and taking information. And Chris Correa broke in with the passwords and got thrown into jail, and everybody in Houston went, ha, 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 look, the Cardinals – they were cheating and they got caught and the guy's doing jail time. And, you know, it, I, of course, it's not the same thing because that was illegal in the real world. But the point being is, look, the, the Astros fans, you, you can't get you can't get mad at the Cardinals. They were, you know, hey, they were just trying to win just like we are. I mean, they were just trying to win. You can't blame the car. You know, it's, you can't get mad at the at the Giants when Barry Bonds was hitting home runs off of you left and right. Uh, you can't get mad at uh, this guy. I mean, you, you, you have now, if you are on the side of this is okay, you have taken away your right to ever complain about the Patriots videotaping about, you know, I, I to me, I kind of just, I, I'm the type of person that I don't like that. I discounted a lot of the, what the Patriots don't, because I'm guessing they're cheating. I mean, there's stuff about, you know, there's rumors about how they've, you know, taken headsets and, uh, turned them off on the visitor's sidelines at New England games, you know, at their home field. It, it, there's that stuff that's happening all the time. I, I don't know. And it, it just, to me, uh, two, 2017 felt like such a really authentic experience, Stephen, of, of the good guys. And, you know, it turns out, I guess we were wrong. Yeah, unfortunately, Robert, that is the case. But, I, I, you know, it's just that, Life, unfortunately, is just not a fairy tale. We, we would all like to think that our favorite team, whether it's the Astros, the, the Texans, the Patriots, whomever, is going to just sail through and have a wonderful season. They're all great guys. They're cuddly teddy bears. But and it, usually this happens after the fact, not during or you know while something is going on. But a, a few months, a year, even a few years later, things start coming out, kind of trickling out one after another that – yeah, maybe things weren't so fairy taleish after all, and it—I guess it, in some ways it does taint the Astros' 2017 World Series win, and that's unfortunate because it really was a great story. It's a team that had waited 50 plus years to win a World Series, just like the Nationals. Yeah, you know, they'd never won a World Series either as the Nationals or the Expos. If you're a Nationals fan, you're thinking, okay, so what went wrong with that team? What's what's going to come out a few months or a few years later? So. Life's not a fairy tale. Sports is not a fairy tale. We'd like to think it is, but it's it's just another harsh reality that uh, teams are going to do whatever they're going to do to get an edge. All right. I guess I just 
try to figure out where we're going to go from here because now the Astros, I mean, could Jeff Luno get six months suspension? Could they take away Astros draft picks? If I was Major League Baseball at this point, with as bad as the cheating is, and, and, and you know, Rob Manford, he warned the clubs after 2017. He goes, you know, because there was a lot of this chatter back then. He said, if, if, if this continues, uh, yeah, we're going <laughs> to, we're coming down on you guys. So, be prepared. And, and Manfred has been that type of commissioner that's like, he's like to set a precedent guy. You know, he, he's going to do something. Well, as much as you would hate to see something like that happen, if you're an Astros fan, if you enjoy Jeff Luno, I think that it's something that does need to happen. Look, if you're going to have rules, then you need to enforce them. Otherwise, I, I've always believed whether it's a, a federal law, a state, local law, or a rule of an organization. Either you enforce the rules or what's the point of having them? And, you know, it's yeah, it's a delicate thing. You can go too far and people say, oh, that's too harsh. Or you can go a little bit light and say, well, they should have punished him. You know, you're not going to please everybody. But if you're going to make the rules, you need to make them as specific as possible and account for as many scenarios as possible. So unfortunately, yeah, if you're Major League Baseball and if you made that statement, then you need to back it up. Otherwise, you're going to take a lot of heat because maybe you went a little soft on the Astros, and then the next time out, you might go harsh on somebody else. No, you need to be consistent according. I, I realize every situation is a little bit different, but you still have to have rules and guidelines to follow and enforce those when they're called upon. Yeah, the cheating scandal scandal almost made you forget that the Astros replaced Reed Ryan with Jim Crane's son and, and basically also alienated Nolan Ryan with that move, Stephen. I mean, it's, there's just been a sort of waterfall of really not so good PR stuff for the Astros over the last month. It's just it's not stop. Yeah, and I've been chomping at the bit to say something about this whole Ryan incident. I think that happened right after I left for Virginia, and I saw it, and I'm like, man, I hope that this is still news when I come back so we can talk about it. How many times are the Astros going to diss the Ryan family? You know, when R Nolan Ryan was a player— for the Astros. John McMullen didn't want to pay him enough. He let him get away. He went to the Rangers, pitched several more seasons, very productive seasons, I might add. And then Ryan comes back to the Astros and is an executive and then leaves again. And and now we're seeing Reed Ryan be replaced by Crane's son. And look, you know, Crane's son, maybe he's the next great businessman. Who knows? But look, I know Reed Ryan personally. I, I first was introduced to him uh, since I live here in Austin, of course, the Round Rock Express, the Astros uh, minor league team have been a couple of different times. When the Round Rock Express first came on the scene in 2000, I had a chance to meet Reed Ryan, get to know him a little bit. Great guy, but he's also very smart, very classy guy, very strong business minded. Why are you going to replace somebody like Reed Ryan, who has done a great job on the business side of things for the Astros? Yeah, it's obviously a family thing, but in doing so, you're going to alienate an Astros legend, a, a Major League Baseball legend, a Hall of Famer, Nolan Ryan, again? Look, when Nolan Ryan has been with the Astros, great things have happened, whether it's as a player, as an executive, as an advisor. When Nolan Ryan leaves, bad things start happening. So kind of wonder, is this the beginning of the Ryan curse, Roberts? You, you beat me to the punch. I mean, I, I put up a Nolan Ryan timeline on Twitter and I said, hey, look, 
Here's the way it goes. Astros signed Nolan Ryan 1980. They get their first NLCS in 1980. They get their second NLCS in 1986. He leaves in 89 when the Astros don't want to pay him not a raise, but even pay him the salary that he was making, which is probably all he would. They just basically dissed him. So the Astros are bad for years as soon as Nolan leaves. Then they get him in 2004. They get to their third NLCS. Their first one since Nolan was playing there. Remember, they got to the playoffs, but they couldn't get to the league championship series. So they get to the third one in 04. They get to their fourth one in 05. They go to their first World Series in 05. Then the Astros get rid of them in 2000, uh, 2008. Rangers get them. What happens? Rangers go to their first World Series in 2010 and 11. Then the Rangers get rid of them. The Rangers start on a d- downhill slide. The Astros uh, get them in 14. They're champs, obviously, in 2017, but, you know, four out of the last five years, playoffs with Nolan hanging around, just being Nolan, I guess. I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but look, yeah, it, good things happen when he's here. Bad things happen when he's gone. We've learned our lesson, I thought. <laughs> uh, well, maybe the fans have, but apparently the Astros haven't. And isn't that why we kept saying, Robert, when the Astros were winning the World Series and they got to the ALCS in 2018 and... They were just like a couple innings short of winning game seven of this year's World Series. Isn't that why we kept saying, enjoy this, you know, because nothing lasts forever. And in this case, it, it seems like the, the bad dominoes are starting to fall as we had the Brandon Taubman situation. Well, actually, we can go back further than that. We had the Verlander situation with a reporter. We have the Brandon Taubman incident. We, we've got the, the cheating allegations and and the Ryan's departure, as far as Nolan Ryan's departure and Reed Ryan basically yeah, is a demotion, pure and simple. And now, you know, we're seeing all these negative things falling that is tainting all the great stuff that the Astros have had the last several years. Yeah, we you mentioned nepotism with Reed Ryan's departure and Jim bringing in his son, but can Reed Ryan really complain about nepotism? Well, and I wasn't necessarily saying it's nepotism. Yeah, because that, that'd be like calling the kettle black. I mean, Reed Ryan, Nolan Ryan. But I, I just think it's curious that with all the success the Astros have had, I mean, you're certainly not going to blame Reed Ryan because the Astros lost game seven of the World Series, are you? I mean, come on. But – with with the ties that the whole Ryan family has to the Astros, I, I mean, was it just a, simply a case of Jim Crane saying, you know what, I want my son in there? Uh, you know, is it is it just that? Or were there some other things going on behind the scenes that maybe we don't know about, perhaps we will find out about in the future? Hard to say, but, but either way, it's just, it's not a smart thing to do, especially when we've outlined the history that you just did, is how when Nolan Ryan has been here, the Astros have won. They, they've succeeded. When he's been with the Rangers, they've won. They succeeded. And when he leaves both of those teams, bad things start to happen. So I, I just don't think, and this is not the first time it's happened. I guess that's what disturbs me more than anything. This is not the first time the Astros have dissed Nolan Ryan. How many more times are they going to do that before Ryan says, you know what, I'm just fed up with the whole the whole process? Yeah, the interesting thing was that Jim Crane goes, uh, well, you know, we, you know, we would love Nolan to be here and, you know, he's welcomed back to this and that they should have come up with some sort of statement saying, Hey, this, you know, we we're we're sorry about what happened with Reed, 
but you know, I'm, I'm very close to my son and I feel like this is a great opportunity for him. And it, you know, but they, they could have cajoled it a little bit better publicly and just said, Hey, we want Nolan here. You know, it, they could have done something like that unless they flat out don't want him. And I don't know why you wouldn't want Nolan around. I mean, there's, there's no downside to that. I mean, it's kind of like, come on. Right. Right. There's no downside to that. And there's no downside to Reed Ryan. Like I said, I, I have met Reed on numerous occasions and, and I just, not only is he a great guy, I mean, that's that's only part of the deal, but I, I just think Reed Ryan is a very smart baseball executive, and he's done a great job with the Astros over the past few years. Look, if it's a simple case, and, and I'll be honest, I don't know how involved Jim Crane's son has been with the team up to this point, but all right, let's say that you want him to, to kind of learn the ropes and maybe eventually become the team, team owner if Jim Crane you know, heaven forbid he's gonna pass away someday if he still owns the Astros. You know, maybe maybe there's a sign that he wants his son to take over. Yeah, you're you're going kind of the way that I would go, which is why couldn't they have just created a, a another position for Jared exactly. Crane that would have just been like, okay, Reed's still the president, but Jared is the you know, put him over Reed Ryan if you want to. I don't care, but just kind of leave Reed. Because the, the thing about Reed, what's what's been so good about what he has had to do is nobody g- gave a crap about the Astros for years because it had been ridden into a ditch. So he had to come in and repair everything. And there was no better repair guy than Reed Ryan, Nolan's son. And who's not just that he's Nolan's son. But you said it. He's just so personable. We, we had him on, on the podcast a couple of times. He was one of the first people to reach out to me on Twitter when I got on Twitter right after he got the job. I contacted him through Twitter. I said, can we get you on? And, you know, he didn't know me from Adam, but he was like, I've got to repair things. I need to talk to this guy or who any, anybody else who wants to talk that's promoting the Astros because it, it's been a it's been a crap show since since uh, 2010 or 09 or whatever when you know, when uh, Drayton decided to put the team up for sale. Well, yeah. And what I was also going to say about uh, Jim Crane's son, uh, Jared, is put him in a position where he can learn from smart people like Nolan Ryan, like Reed Ryan, and build it up from there. And yeah, eventually, if, if you want to make a change, you want to make a change. I mean, he's the owner. Jim Crane is. He can decide to do that. But as you said, Robert, there's a better way to handle it. And especially when you consider how much both Nolan and Reed have done for the Astros. Nolan, on more than one occasion, we've we've cited three instances now where the Astros have had Nolan Ryan in a great position and they have willingly let him get away. So I, I just don't understand not only the way it was handled, but just the whole situation. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, the, like I said at the start, there there was good news that we wanted to be talking about about this time of year which is Jordan Alvarez wins Rookie of the Year. Justin Verlander wins the Cy Young over Garrett Cole in a super close vote, which it should have been a super close vote. And I, you can't uh, be upset either way of whichever guy won. Uh, Verlander, you know, since he's come to the Astros, he's got a Cy Young. He's got a second-place finish for Cy Young. He's got a World Series title. He's got a 300-strikeout season, an ALCS MVP 225 win mark he reached. He reached 3,000 strikeouts, uh, two all-star games. You can't ask anything more from Justin Verlander. Well, that's certainly true. I I would have been fine with it either way. And, And Robert, I know this is a sensitive subject with you because we've talked about this on more than one occasion. But the guy who finished third 
who's also a former Astro, our old friend Uncle Charlie. And I, I was glad that, that you know, if, if it hadn't been for Verlander and Cole, Charlie Morton would have been up there in the conversation and very close to winning that Cy Young, too, with the year he had this past season with the Tampa Bay Rays. I believe I talked about this with Ben. D- did you catch what I said? Uh, th- this is my frustration with AJ be- beyond the Garrett Cole. And we talked to- with Ben about the ga- game seven and-, and what happened, because when you and I talked, you know, we thought that la- right after the game was over, I thought, well, you know, AJ Hinch is going to have all these excuses. And he had just a bunch of really lame excuses of why Garrett Cole didn't pitch in that game. But uh, the other thing that I was going to bring up about AJ is I just didn't feel he had a good last two months of the season because speaking of Verlander, you know, the Verlander, the decision to pitch him, I felt like screwed him up as a 36 year old on the three days rest against Tampa, screwed him up to, to pitch in the last few games of the season. I also felt like, um, look in September, Alex Bregman should have got some rest because I think that might have helped him out a little bit in the playoffs if he had gotten a little bit of rest in September with all the injuries over the year. They had to play him so much the first five months of the season, but by the end of the season, you could have rested Bregman a little bit. I just felt like he played too much, and and that's why we might not have seen the best Bregman in the playoffs. Well, I have to agree with you, and and a lot of that is on Bregman, just not wanting – look, if you're A.J. Hinch – I, I know he's a player's manager. I get it. You know, we hear that term all the time. But you know what? Sometimes you, you have to put your foot down and make decisions that your players aren't going to like. But as long as they understand that you're doing it for their best interest as well as the team's best interest, A.J. Hinch, I think, needs to, not just with Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, the same thing, needs to come back to these guys and say, look, guys, I, I, I appreciate that you want to hustle on every play, love it, that you want to play every game, every inning, even in extra innings, you don't want to come out of a game. But look, if we're going to continue to make these postseason runs where you're going to be playing spring training games, regular season, 162 regular season games, all the way through the postseason and winning the World Series, I'm sorry, that's a lot of games year in and year out. If you want to continually and consistently get there, you have got to take some days off. And I thought he was taking Altuve out in the middle of some games, whereas with Bregman late in the year, he wasn't taking him out in the middle of the games when the Astros might have had a lead or where he saw a chance. And yeah, you, you kind of put it a little bit on Bregman, but I think you said it better that A.J. Hinch, as a great leader and manager, if Bregman's saying, I got to play, and A.J.'s like, no, it's it's not helpful for the team, that's part of being a good manager is you got to convince your players this is what's best for the team. That's part of your job. And I know this this may not be a fair comparison, but, you know, it's the same thing with an individual player, say, in, in football, with all the years that coaches forced those players to go back in when it was obvious they were injured or had a concussion, and it was not only going to affect the team, but it's going to affect that player's career. It, it certainly it, – it did seem, as far as the Verlander situation – that when he pitched him on three days rest, he just wasn't as effective for the rest of the postseason from there on out. And look, the guy threw so many pitches this past season. I, I think, but, but look, it, it was, yeah, it was a mistake and there was no doubt about it. And, uh, but regarding the whole fallout and I, I saw the uproar on Twitter, you and I kind of touched on it, Robert, I think on our last podcast before I left for vacation, but as far as AJ not pitching Garrett Cole, I, I, I just I, I can't find a lot of fault with it. You know, he went with the guy that has been 
his shut-the-door reliever, certainly the best reliever through and through for the entire season, Will Harris. If, if Will Harris had shut the door and that home run had never been hit and the Astros had won Game 7, we wouldn't be even having this conversation. But it didn't. And if he had put Garrett Cole in, Garrett Cole had given up the home run, then I guarantee you everybody would have been on Twitter, why didn't you put in Will Harris? I I think sometimes fans no, 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 and no, even wait, managers hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't think anybody would have said, why did you put Garrett Cole? There would be not one Astro fan that would say, why didn't you put uh, Will Harris in the game if Garrett Cole screwed up? And look, in, in baseball, it's about having your best player out there when it matters. There was eight outs to go. And Will Harris, the, the, the quote that the Fox crews had A.J. Hinch saying was that Will Harris was gassed. He told the Fox crew that. That was they were saying that during the game. But you don't think Garrett Cole was gassed after pitch, uh, that many pitches in what two days rest? I mean, the, the, everybody's gassed, Robert. We've talked about that. But there's a difference between a there's a difference between a guy that who's gassed that's throwing you know a, a, you know ninety to ninety five as opposed to a guy that's gassed that's throwing. 98 to 100 miles. There's just a huge difference there. Well, I don't know about a huge difference. Yeah, there is a difference. But look, gassed is gassed. And if you're going to throw up one bad pitch that's going to result in a home run that essentially is the difference in the game, I don't care if it's Will Harris, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, or Josh James, or Brian Abreu. I mean, the result is the same. I, I mean, we can we can nitpick one or the other. But the fact is, it you know, he, he made a decision. It did not work. And you name me a manager who hasn't made that kind of decision. Well, it wasn't just the decision in that inning. I mean, you could have brought him out the next two innings, and and you instead you brought out guys that were vastly inferior pitchers. You're you, why are you throwing out Joe Smith when you're trying to stay in the game? Like I like I said to Ben, and and you know everybody pretty much agreed on this. Look, you're two runs down going into the ninth inning. If you get three outs there, if if Garrett Cole comes in, gets you three outs. It's Minute Maid Park. It's a bloop single, and it's a shallow pop fly into the Crawford boxes, and it's a tie game. Instead, you're throwing Joe Smith and Jose Arquiti out there instead of Garrett Cole. I mean, and, and, and the, the you know we already mentioned the Soto move in the post game show, but not, not why are you pitching to Soto with the base open? And you know it, there was so much about that it, the last two innings where it's like, what, why is this guy out there? Why is that guy out there? You know, Osuna goes out there who we've seen all year long. This is a long history of this. You know this. If it's not a save situation, Osuna just doesn't look that good. And he comes out there, and of course, he doesn't look that good. I mean, I, I just don't understand why Garrett Cole couldn't have pitched any of the last two and a half innings against all these other guys. He's better than all of them. We know that. Well, I, I agree with you about the Osuna situation. As he, he put him in multiple situations of the same and, and the same results. But I... I yeah, that that would have been more of a factor if the Astros bats had come around and they had been either a, a tie game, maybe leading by a run. Then the scenario changes. Then you start thinking about it. But look, the, the, I mean, the Astros offense to me is the reason as as much of a reason that they didn't win game seven and, and didn't play better in the postseason and even where you didn't have to get to a game seven as much as some of the pitching decisions. Yeah, no, nobody disagrees that the offense was a, was a huge issue, and obviously it was a big issue all through the postseason. But you were still eight outs away, and you were up a run, and you had the best pitcher in baseball sitting in the bullpen, 
And you also could have just kept going with the guy that was getting the jobs done, Zach Granke. Yeah, he walked Soto. Guess what? Nobody on the Astros could get out Soto. He gave up a home run to Anthony Rendon, one of the best players in all of baseball. So what? He had basically manhandled the rest of the Nationals for the entire game. He had 80-some-odd pitches. The reason why you trade for Zach Granke is because you want him in this type of situation late in a game, a guy that could could give you a complete game or give you seven or eight great innings. And he all of a sudden got scared with Zach Greinke. And I don't don't know if I understand that either. I I knew he would come out as soon as the walk happened, but I'm like, I I still didn't know if that was the right decision. And and I thought the only reason he's going to come out is he's going to bring in Garrett Cole. I didn't think he was going to bring in Will Harris. Well, I think that as far as Zach Greinke, it could just be from past experience. I mean, other than that near no hitter, Zach Greinke hasn't really proven that he can go seven, eight innings the way Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole does. Well, he went. Remember, he went in that. That I mean, it was the Mariners, and it was late in the season. But he went nine innings. But he's got a whole career. This guy's won Cy Young awards. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. That that game I was talking about. Yeah, he's he's got yeah. a whole career of doing that, though, right? Yeah, up until this past season, yes, but well, uh, but the, no, no, no. I think he was going late in games with the with the Diamondbacks, wasn't? I mean, I well, I'd have to look at the numbers to you know that that's possible. But but at least with the Astros, the last few months that he's been with the Astros, there there've been a couple of exceptions. But but I, but I think Robert, what what it really points to, yeah, some of those decisions were not smart. And I think what what managers do in the postseason is that they they do tend to overanalyze. Maybe overthink things a little bit. Yes, I understand the postseason is somewhat different. It, it's it's a faster pace. It's a whole lot more on the line than the regular season. But I think managers sometimes take that fact and maybe overthink things a little bit, and then they end up outguessing themselves. And that's when it comes to bite them in the butt, especially when it doesn't work. A couple things with the Texans and the Rockets, because, I mean, there's stuff going on there. And uh, quickly, let's remind everybody that the Texans signed cornerback Vernon Hargroves cut by the Buccaneers. If you don't know much about him, he was the 11th player picked in the 2016 draft and considered the first or second best cornerback in that draft. He was having his worst year in the NFL pro football focus grades had dropped into the forties after being in the sixties in his first few years. Sixties is is pretty good. I mean, for Texans cornerbacks recently, it'd be great. Obviously (laughs) he's never lived up to his potential but in his NFL career, 19 pass deflections, two interceptions. Week one, he intercepted Jimmy Garoppolo for a touchdown. Week two, he had 12 tackles. There were also some work ethic questions about him, which appear uh, to make for a poor marriage with Bill O'Brien. I mean, but they got a guy that's a lot of talent and you can have as your fourth cornerback. And I think, you know, for the Texans, it was a good move. I think so. And, and really, just with all the injuries they've had at that position, it, it can't hurt to get some depth. You know, it's obviously not going to be top talent depth, but at least get some more bodies in there because the way things have been going with the Texans, particularly at that position, you, you don't know how some of these guys are going to come back. Bradley Roby, Jonathan Joseph, and, you know, some of these guys in the secondary that have been injured, you know, how well are they going to bounce back? And if they get injured again, you, you've at least got some bodies now that you can put in there, whereas before they, they were having to sign a lot of these guys off the street just to fill the roster position. So I don't think it's a bad move at all. And, you know, if he's a reclamation project like Gary and Conley, you know, former first round pick, it was kind of a, a low first round pick, but didn't quite pan out the Raider, the way the Raiders wanted him to. You know, if he plays even halfway decently with the Texans and, and the same with the one they just signed, then that's okay. You know, you're not going to expect 
I, I don't think you can expect superstar caliber out of these guys, but if they can just even play decent ball for you, then, you know, especially with all the question marks the Texans have had at cornerback, I'd say that's a plus. Texans don't really have a history under OB, I would say, of doing a lot with reclamation projects. But Carlos Hyde this year, he's looked pretty good. Remember, he was a former second-round pick. And the yeah, Texans, he's, he's your best example right now. Absolutely he is. Remember, the Texans now have four cornerbacks who were first-round picks by other teams. Jonathan Joseph, Bradley Roby, Gary and Conley, and Hargroves. They also have added, Stephen, this is incredible, six first-round picks just this year. If you had to the three cornerbacks, uh, Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard, and <coughs> Barkevius Mingo, if you want to count him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just goes to show that just because you're a first-round pick, it doesn't make you a great player until you go prove it on the field. There there are a number of them that have either been busts or certainly been questionable. And, Robert, I know you're really sorry that you're one of your favorite players, Dan Skipper. I think I saw he got he got let go, so you won't won't be skipping along with the Texans, at least for now. He took a three-hour tour with the Texans, and then Gilligan yeah. got rid of him, I guess. It, it appears like all the Texans' injured secondary players might be ready for Sunday. Maybe even Will Fuller will be back. Uh, we got to talk about the matchup because Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson to see who's the most serious MVP candidate from the AFC from the and when I say from the AFC because the MVP right now Russell Wilson twenty three touchdown passes and two interceptions it, we're still you know we still got some time left in the season but that's the leader on the board and Stephen not only are we looking forward to the post game show Sunday but this is just a huge five day stretch from Sunday to Thursday with the Ravens and the Colts not only does it show you where you are in the AFC big picture but we'll also now know how the AFC South race looks after all this is kind of settled down well yeah and it continues to be crazy uh, what was it the the Colts lost to the Dolphins uh this past weekend and you know the Texans of course had their bye week but yeah we're we're coming into a stretch where you really are going to see what this team is made of now that you are over the second half hump in the season uh, you know with the, the Ravens that that is going to be a tough game I mean the Ravens have have definitely become one of the best teams in the AFC this year kind of supplanting I guess Kansas City with with the struggles they've had. So, yeah, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, that is going to be an intriguing matchup. I, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's a, you know, 45 to 40 kind of game or whatever, just just because of the, the greatness that these two quarterbacks have exhibited over the past couple of years. So that'll be intriguing to watch. And then, yeah, you have the Colts and then, of course, the Patriots coming up. So this is where you're going to find out, are the Texans for real or not? Yeah, I was going back and forth with one of our listeners, Brian, and just saying, hey, look, uh, this this is uh, one of the best running – you know, he was made, made, made the point it was one of the best running games you're going to see in the NFL this week with Lamar Jackson and, and all the talent that they've got. But I think personally, Stephen, I was telling him that, look, without J.J. Watt, the Texans are better against the run because J.J. would cheat. He would try to – you know, he would go after the quarterback sometimes when – uh, overcommit to the quarterback or whatever. There were plays that would happen and somebody would get loose on his side and pick up 10 or 11 or 12 yards. I think the Texans defense will be better. They're going to stay at home. This is going to be about staying at home because Lamar Jackson, if you let him get uh, going and, and, and give him some open field one side or the other, you're in trouble. You've just got to shadow him. You've got to have all these linebackers, you know, just looking at him at all times and make sure that uh, nothing like that happens. 
the passing game is going to be a a lot diff, more difficult uh, without JJ's pass rush. But I don't think that matters as much, you know, with Lamar because Lamar's just he's not yet a great passer. No, he's not. I mean, if you if you're talking about what the, the biggest threat for Lamar Jackson, it is his running ability. I mean, I thought it was interesting where the Chargers what they used six defensive backs against him and beat him last year, but. I don't know. I don't think you're going to see that from the Texans necessarily to try to beat him. And isn't it interesting that without J.J. Watt and without Jadevian Clowney, how good the Texans' runs defense has been? But yeah, they're they're definitely going to have to be on their best to keep Lamar Jackson from getting too much yardage. But then, hey, the Ravens are going to have to do the same because Deshaun Watson is certainly capable of taking off and getting some uh, rushing yards anytime he wants. Rockets, uh, hey, we got to talk about them because after beating a bunch of lottery teams for their other wins, and I, and I kind of was like, well, they haven't beat anybody. They they finally grabbed a legit one on Wednesday night. The Clippers, they're no joke, even without Paul George. Uh, everybody's got them as the title favorite. And did I say the Rockets beat the Clippers, Stephen? I meant to say James Harden beat the Clippers. It was all James. Yeah. It was all James, and uh, yet a win's a win. And they, they, I mean, the Clippers have been a, gotten off to a good start, even without Paul George. Yeah, the Rockets. Uh, I think certainly uh, it's only been ten games, but hey, certainly a better start than what they got last year. What are they seven and three? And if the playoffs started today, they'd be the number two seed. So hard to complain. The defense has actually looked better. I maybe I maybe I had to go to Virginia to make the Rockets play better defense because. The defense has certainly tightened things up. But yeah, James Harden, he's gone back to being, well, James Harden. Of course, I know Eric Gordon being out and, you know, Danwell House. You hope he comes back soon. But those are the types of things that every team is going to battle with throughout the course of the season. And, you know, the the Rockets are facing that. So it's their job to overcome it. And so far they have anyway, even if it's a small sample size. I said it when Jackson Gatlin was on here last week. I said, look, man. The Rockets have got to slow down the pace. They had started to slow down the pace, I think, when I talked to Jackson, at least for a game or two. And it, it's not the same team early in the season. And, and I think that's why the defense is better. If you're looking for a reason, the Rockets cannot go up and down the floor. They're too old. They don't have the type of guys outside of Russell Westbrook and maybe Clint Capella that could go up and down the court at that speed. And when Capella's out of the game, you're not running up and down the floor with Ty, you know Tyson Chandler ain't running up and down the floor at age 77 or whatever he is. So uh, that that's a lot to do with where the Rockets defense is. And, you know, uh, James, as I said to Jackson, he digs in after about game 10 or 15 and everybody's criticizing the defense. And that's kind of what he's done. He's d- dug in a little bit more on the defensive side. You mentioned some of the injuries, Gordon out six weeks, uh, Daniel House banged up, hopefully not for long, but uh, they might want to just protect him, make sure it's not something more serious. And then Capella with the concussion, he's definitely going to miss the Friday game. It sucks because after a rough start, he's been awesome. Five straight double-doubles, three straight 20-rebound games. And what stinks is, and maybe this is my imagination, but Capella's had this history of taking a while to rev up. After an injury, takes a while to rev up, sometimes at the beginning of the season. And it's not just him. Typically, NBA big men in general have that problem. Well, and I guess if, if, if you're going to pick a time to do that, it's better to do it now, early in the season, and you hope that as, as time goes along, maybe things will even out and the players will be fully healed. You, you don't want this kind of thing happening toward the end of the season when the Rockets are fighting, say, for 
home court advantage, top three or four seeds or something. So if it has to happen, and you know it's going to throughout the course of a season with every NBA team, I, if there is such a thing as a good time, now is a good time to happen. And yeah, getting back to the, the fast pace, I was shocked, honestly, that the Rockets were doing that. I, I mean, I, I sat there and I thought, look, you're not going to expect players like Tyson Chandler, P.J. Tucker, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and all these guys to do this for the entire season, are you? Because if you get to the postseason, then it's going to totally wear them out by that point, and the defense is is going to let you down. So it's good to see that they've, they've gotten smart about it and slowed down the pace somewhat. Yeah, a team like Sacramento that maybe doesn't have the talent, they've got young legs, fresh legs, you, you, you do that with them like they did last year, and it, and it might work, and it got them a ton of wins, and teams were wearing down late in games because Sacramento would run up and down the floor. Other teams just couldn't handle it. Now, they never had the chance to get into a playoff situation and see where they were, but again, the legs were younger. They had the type of club where you've got a De'Aaron Fox and a Buddy Heald and you know all these younger guys that you could do that with, but... And, and of course, this year they they've slowed it down. It's a totally different team, and it's not working what they're doing. And and of course, injuries now have really hit them hard. But uh, yeah, I just didn't see the fast pace. I didn't see any way, any way that that was going to work. And, and you know, the other thing I want to just bring up about the, t- the the Rockets injuries, Stephen. Last thing is just I, I'm not so sold on how Daryl built this team towards the back of the bench, and he he kind of frustrates me at times with how he builds the back of the bench because, look, the Rockets are a switching team. They're a team that counts on guys that can play multiple positions. And I, I know Chris Clemens has got some tools to be a really good scorer in the NBA, but he's five foot nine. He can't switch off, and if he's not making shots and doing stuff offensively, he can't help you. The other thing is, unless Westbrook and Harden are both hurt and Gordon, you know, he's not going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So you're talking about a guy that probably needs the ball in his hands, is used to the ball in his hands. And I don't know what, what why they have Chris Clemens out there as much and they're playing him instead of somebody like Gary Clark. And I don't know why Ryan Anderson's on the roster. I mean, if he's your 15th man, fine. But they've got other guys that are more or less the 14th or 15th. Nene's pretty much a trade ship right now. He's not a real guy. So I don't understand why Ryan Anderson and Chris Clemens are on the roster. And I, and I saw recently that Iman Shumpert just got signed and I'm like I wasn't a fan of Iman Shumpert but you know him or a Gary Clark or those are the guys I would rather see get playing time if there is a bunch of injuries like we've seen with Gerald Green and Daniel House and now Eric Gordon I mean that that would have been a better option for you to have somebody like Iman Shumpert out there yeah I kind of wonder it's like why did you re-sign Ryan Anderson and and I keep waiting for Gary Clark. You know, we keep hearing how, you know, great potential Gary Clark is, but we're not seeing enough of him to really see any of that. So, yeah, I'm a little bit intrigued as to how Mike D'Antoni is using some of these guys or not using them in some cases. And, and I've always kind of felt that there, there are just so many times Mike D'Antoni, I, I don't think, uses a lot of his players properly in the, or, or even has the right system for them. And that's why I, I just couldn't understand – why he was going at such a fast pace with all these older guys. What are the Rockets? Aren't they the oldest team in the league or at least the second? I think they're the oldest team in the league on age average. So you're not going to do that an entire season. So, yeah, that that's the one. If, if I have a knock against Antoni, it's that I, I just don't think he always has a great idea of how to use the players that he has. Yeah, I, I got frustrated because 
you know, he gave up on Daniel House too early, I thought, in the playoffs. You know, he struggled. It's a, it's a rookie, basically, and you gave up on him a little bit too early. They could have used Daniel House. They could have used the depth that he would have provided just for a few minutes here and there when you're in a tough series like you were with Golden State. It would have been nice to, you know, keep running him out there, even for just a few minutes. I, I didn't feel like he was literally killing you every time he was out there. And, and you look at the, last year with Gary Clark. So Gary Clark starts off the year great. He's hitting three-point shots. He's, he's doing some really good stuff on the defensive end. And then he struggles after about 20 or 30 games. He's a rookie. We've seen the NBA a zillion times where a rookie hits that wall because they're not used to playing that many games. But you got to let him get over the wall and then maybe put him back out there. Let, let that happen. And he never really had faith in Gary Clark after that. He hasn't had faith in Gary Clark since then. Not saying that Gary Clark is some, you know, he's not going to be a superstar, but I think he can be a role player that can give you at least five or 10 minutes here and there. And where Chris Clemens, if he's not hitting the three-point shot, he's useless. But with Gary Clark, uh, he can still get you defense. He can still get you rebounds. He could still, you know, grab you some steals and things like that. Chris Clemens isn't going to do that. Ryan Anderson's not going to do that. But Gary Clark can. Well, and that's why, I, I mean, if you're not going to use Gary Clark in the situation that he's in, I mean, if the system isn't right for him, then maybe he can be a bargaining chip and a trade possibility at some point in the future. But, you know, use him or get something for him. That's kind of how I feel about it. And, it. and it seems that unless you're one of the elite players, Harden, Westbrook, Capella, Gordon, those guys, you know, your your window of opportunity is, is going to be a lot narrower Is it, if, if you – start messing up too quickly, D'Antoni just loses faith in you almost as quickly, and then you don't see much action at all. Yeah, I don't know if I'm seeing a whole lot of difference between what a Ben McLemore is giving you even than a Gary Clark, but Ben McLemore, I'm fine with him being out there. I mean, that's the type of player that you know can switch off and can occasionally hit some threes, and it, it, that's exactly what the, the Rockets need. And yeah, I mean, yeah, Dan Tony, he does a lot of really good stuff offensively, but there are times where, yeah, there's a little bit of lack of faith that he has in guys. I, I, I just, I appreciated the, one of the things I appreciated about Phil Jackson over the years was that, you know, he would live with a, somebody screwing up for a little bit. And I guess you could afford to do that when you've got Shaq and Kobe or Jordan and Pippen, but I think there is something to that. And I think, you know, I think Pop gets mad at guys, but he'll go back to the to, to, to certain guys because he knows that the bench matters. And over the course of the season, it helps you to have that bench. And I, I feel like, you know, D'Antoni's getting away with it a little bit because you've got James Harden that you can just kind of lean on and kill. And at some point in his career, maybe it starts being a factor. All the, all the minutes that he's, he's going to acquire and all the usage that he's going to, you know, he's always up there in usage. And it's at some point, uh, you might have a guy that's maybe getting old before this time, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's going to be intriguing as uh, the Rockets keep going. If, you know, can they keep up this pace as uh, they're going to start getting a tougher stretch now than some of the teams they were playing before. But it, it did seem that ever since Mike D'Antoni came out publicly, you know, like whether you like it or not, he, he called, what did he call them soft? And they, they certainly weren't playing up their potential, basically called the team out publicly uh, it seemed like it kind of lit a fire under them ever since then because they've been playing a whole lot better, both offensively and defensively. Looking forward to the Texans postgame show on Sunday. Uh, thanks again, uh, Stephen. Good to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be back. Robert, missed you and missed doing the podcast. I was listening uh, to what you did with uh, 
Ben and uh, Brian and a couple of the other episodes. So great to be back in the routine again. Hit us up on info at HoustonSportsTalk.net, info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. You know, we'd love to hear what you guys think about the Astros and the cheating. I'm kind of curious uh, what the Houston Sports Talk fan says about all that stuff. But uh, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.